Hey, Daniel. Good morning. Welcome to the ABM Voice Podcast. What's up, Arun? It's nice to have you here. Happy to be here. Yeah, been meaning to talk to you for a while. Great to be here. Yeah, it's, it's good that we're finally able to connect. Thank you so much for taking time. I'm really looking forward for this discussion. I know you talk a lot about ABM demand chain, right? So I want to pick your mind and then have some good conversation today, right? Uh, then why don't we let's just get started by having you do a quick introduction of yourself, kind of what you do. Right. Yeah. So my name is Dan Rennie. I run a consultancy slash agency called Clear. And as you said, Arun, in the intro, we focus mainly on account-based marketing. And of course, it's hard to separate that from demand generation because the two have to go hand in hand. And more and more, we've been focusing on revenue, meaning creating buyer experiences that actually end up making the company money by aligning around the buyer does. So recently we set up a framework that we called revenue growth mapping. And it's, uh, it's, it's what we're starting yeah. to implement with our existing clients and new clients. And it's basically a way to launch RevOps in a small to mid-size B2B technology company without all the complexities. And, uh, huh. and, it, and it's a beautiful model and it's been working out great. So uh, I'm excited to talk about anything ABM demand generation with a lot of focus on revenue and alignment um, with all the different go-to-market departments. What is, according to you, right, revenue-based marketing and, and how does it align to account-based marketing, right? Do you have any thoughts, views on like how yeah. these two connect? So when I speak of revenue marketing or revenue-based marketing, um, it's it's basically a mindset, and it's a mindset that at the end of the day, marketing should be accountable to revenue to some extent. And now I don't want to get into attribution and uh, you know figuring out what percentage of marketing's activities can be accounted for revenue and how to measure that because that's a whole different conversation, and it it usually ruins the topic and it ruins the conversation if you start with that. But what's important here is the revenue mindset, meaning we're all in this not to produce and create cute stuff and to feel good about ourselves, although those two are hugely important, but we're in here to make money for the company. And that has to be the focus. And when you have that focus, uh, then that focus and that mindset that gets translated over to the metrics which you use for marketing, meaning you try to measure marketing in terms of pipeline, in terms of revenue, wherever possible, because it's not possible to measure everything in terms of pipeline, but it should be the focus or an intention to to do that in as many places as possible. Okay, understood. Can you talk the framework that you're developing? Are you comfortable? So let's just connect the revenue marketing, revenue-based marketing to account-based marketing first. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so account-based bar marketing by definition should be something that is closely aligned with sales and directly connected with what the sales department is doing. So almost by definition, account-based marketing and the type of marketing that you do um, when you're doing your homework correctly, then that gets correlated or connected directly to revenue. And what I mean by that is the bad practice ABM or poor ABM 
is, you know, just running account targeted ads and then calling it a day or perhaps handing off intent data to the sales department and then going, okay, we're done. That's ABM. That's, that's not what you want to be doing. Like the right type of ABM is going very deep into buyer insights and doing some deep account research, which I personally think should, should sit with marketing because marketing usually has more analytical and research-centered brain power than, than a typical sales department, especially SDRs. Um, I think SDRs um, have to be, they have to possess a different personality. And that personality is opposite of what a good researcher personality is and mindset is. So I think account research should be sitting with marketing and, and marketing has to unmine a lot of data um, and that is more data than what you typically find in an account-based marketing platform or, or an intent signal tool. Okay, and when that happens, when you have a good amount of data, then you obviously need to have a very good understanding of the ideal customer and how their buyer journey looks like. Okay, and when you are able to design the entire campaign and the entire experience around that, how the buyer buys, how they prefer to buy, and, and, and then try to steer everything in that direction so that at the end of the day, you end up selling to as many prospects as possible, then, then that is, that's good ABM. And, and that's the type of ABM that is aligned with sales and that actually makes money. And that is full funnel because don't forget, marketing should be a full funnel endeavor, especially in B2B. So marketing should not stop by generating demand and then doing some campaign so that you generate intense signals and then calling and get a day and, and handing it off to sales. So marketing shouldn't stop there. It should really go all the way until the sale and beyond. Because what we always say is that in a subscription business, which is what SaaS companies are, a subscription business, a recurring revenue business, the majority of the profit is made in the back end. So the majority of the profit is made after the sale. And you don't want marketing to sign out of that. Okay, so marketing needs to be present all the way there and marketing needs to actually step up and make this back end profit realization more effective, more efficient, better. And they can do that in several ways. So if you, if you get the marketing department involved together with customer success, if you involve them to make the onboarding process better, to make tool adoption better to make upsells and account expansion campaigns better, then marketing is going to bring a lot of ideas and a lot of insight and a lot of just brain power into that. And so all these backend initiatives that make the most profit for your company are actually going to be even more powerful and they're going to work out even better when you involve Mark. And that's the full funnel mindset. And, and it's the revenue mindset. It's inseparable from the revenue mindset because you're involving all the go-to-market departments. You're involving sales, you're involving customer success or service in some companies, um, maintenance or, you know, whatever they fall into, what category they fall into. And a lot of times even product, product marketers or product managers. So that's how all these things come together. ABM, revenue, and, uh, and the full funnel mindset. How, how do you get started with a program for, for your customer, right? So let's say somebody approaches you and then like, where do you start and how do you sort of develop? Do you yep. start very small and then try and expand? Are you in that side of the fence or do you have some sort of a 
like established checklists and things like that, right? So how do you like typically get started with, with your customers and clients? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great question. So most of our clients are sort of mid-market companies who already have an established product um, and they might have an international presence. They might be a multinational company with several locations and they're trying to scale, test and scale something um, regionally, locally in one vertical. And so the first thing that we do is we try to determine their maturity, like where they are in terms of uh, marketing maturity or go-to-market maturity. And we found that it's pretty easy to group companies into one of four categories based on how mature their go-to-market operations are. Because all companies are different, but when it comes to go-to-market, you have these clusters of um, what companies are doing in marketing, in sales, um, in trying to retain clients. And there's this ladder of maturity. And we actually created a test around this. So there's like a self-assessment on our website, which you can fill out and it, it'll tell you which category, which archetype you Boom. fall into. We call these go-to-market archetypes. And based on which archetype you are in, there are different paths of action that you need to take. So the first thing that we do is determine, you know, where the client stands in terms of maturity. And based on that, we'll have a few scenarios. So one is that they're doing old school, old fashioned sales led go to market, which is focused on capturing demand and which holds inappropriately and incorrectly an assumption that salespeople will create demand because they'll reach out to companies and then they'll tell, they'll talk to people one by one and tell them how great their product or offering is and that, and that that's going right. to convert people and, and make them come, which this is like not working anywhere. I haven't seen a place where this works in the 2020s. I know it, it's how IBM used to do marketing in 1918, but we're past that. Okay. So this type of go to market, this sales led, this, um, where everything is one-on-one -on -one and where the assumption is that you need a salesperson to educate the buyer. That's just not. That, that, that doesn't hold true anymore. So if there's an assumption like this that holds true in a company that is regarded as true, then we have to change the mindset. We have to change the thinking. And there's not a lot of point in doing a lot of other things until people are sort of on this other side of the fence. Now, how we change that thinking is, you know, we, we it's not by talking. It's not by, you know, saying pretty things and putting on nice slideshows. We actually do a campaign that proves that you can, number one, generate demand at scale for the right buyers. So for your target buyers, number two, you can get adequate first party data while doing this. And number three, after you go and approach your target accounts, you're going to be a lot more successful and you're going to have a much better hit rate than if you didn't do this first demand generation late. So we typically have like a quick and dirty campaign that we could launch in we can set up and launch it in actually 26 days, which is what we, what we tell clients that, Hey, we do this, we get this out the door in 26 days or you get your money back. And then af after that, when, when they see results that, okay, yes, this does generate some sales qualified opportunities. Yes, there is engagement. Yes, there are conversations Then it's a lot easier to tell them, okay, well, think about if we did this for everything and we started scaling this, like how great that would be, how much that will change. And then that's a much easier position to start from. 
Okay. So then we hit that maturity stage that, okay, they know that the proper way to go to market is to, you know, generate demand, engage the customers, engage the market, center around how your buyers buy, and then create campaigns off of that. So, um, the, when we dissect customers, um, marketing and programs, because it's something that we do, you know, we look for signs of, is there, okay, we, we come in knowing that there is a product market fit. But is there a message market fit? So is the market actually open to, and does the market actually resonate with the current messaging or no? Does it need to be changed? Is there a narrative that makes us unique? Is, is there a brand story that, that is compelling for the buyer to step into? Or do we just, you know, shoot features and benefits at them and hope that, you know, something will stick? So if these messaging components and positioning components are missing or inadequate, then we go and glue it up and fix it. And once we have the right messaging and positioning, uh, we take a look at to see if the marketing collateral, the sales collateral, what we say on the website, what the salespeople tell the marketplace, if, if that's any good, if, if, if it's consistent, because if it's not, you know, then we need to fix it. And we usually, you know, we can help with content creation. So we can, we can obviously help with that and do that. So we have an executional part to our consultancy. And, uh, once we have that and, and we make sure that everything is in place because we actually talk to the buyers. So like a buyer interview is something that we typically do in the beginning of every engagement. We ask to speak to three to five of your best buyers. And from that experience, we're, we're able to formulate the messaging much better. And so if the base, if, if everything is in place, meaning you've got the, you know, the messages, the positioning, you've got the brand narrative, you've got the marketing assets. So the right posts, the right podcasts and whatever or not, if all that is in place, then bam, we're ready to launch a campaign. In fact, we'd like to get to launching a campaign as fast as possible because that gives us experience, um, there's us direct feedback. And, uh, we don't really overanalyze things. We try to launch as quick as possible and, uh, and then build on that, build su subsequent campaigns on that. This is good stuff. Very good stuff. So that's the, uh, I just that's the short to of it. I know it was open doors. No, no, uh, it's been helpful. Um, how long have you seen this, uh, taking in terms of time, right? Like how long does it take for you, for the program to stabilize and then your clients start seeing results? Like what sort of time should they factor? Right. So you talked about a number of things that needs to be done basically to prepare uh, yourself before you actually start seeing results, right? So that perspective, what are your uh, experiences and how long do you think it, it should take, it takes? Yeah. So if, if we need to like rewire or even set up marketing from almost ground zero, then it usually takes two to three months because we, before we can launch an initial campaign and the initial campaign will not have significant results because by definition, it's, it's a small experiment. It's a little pilot and we're looking for promising and positive signals more than actual revenue and money in the bank and like big pipelines. So, um, what we're seeing is with the way we're currently doing things with our current methodology, it takes about anywhere between four to 
eight months to really see big results come in. Like, you know, significant clients drop into the pipeline, go to the opportunity stage. Um, that's what I mean by significant results and not just, you know, sales conversations, but like real stuff happening. And, uh, of course this obviously depends on a lot of factors, but we're trying to make this process faster, but it's not very easy to make the process faster. And maybe it shouldn't even be a lot faster because you just need to go step by step. But yeah, people, we, we tell clients that, Hey, it's going to be eight to 12 months because we tell them a bit more just to be on the safe side. It's going to be like eight to 12 months before you start seeing like real results. So that's, that, that, that's how long it usually takes, but you can see promising signals earlier on. And the important thing is your expectations. So when you're moving from like old school sales led stuff to more progressive, you know, demand generation and account-based marketing, it's, you have to understand that these initiatives, they can completely transform your company. And as such, they don't happen overnight. So you have to go in with the right expectations, meaning that you are looking for promising signals early on. And, uh, of course we talk a lot about, you know, the metrics that we will be looking at and what we'll be tracking. But even, even though we do that, you'll have some executives who forget that. And they're like, where's the money? Where's the pipeline? And you know, we're already at month four and five and where's the money? I haven't seen anything. And, uh, you know, you just got to have a better mindset than that, a more constructive mindset because life doesn't work that way. Life doesn't, you know, big transformative things take time and the first results you're going to see are not going to be the end result. They're going to be results leading up to the end result. So you're going to see leading metrics improve before you see big changes to your lagging metrics, such as revenue and sales velocity. So... Yeah, that's that's a long answer to your short question. Somebody who's trying to create categories, right? for example, uh, new product, right? So maybe it's not a mainstream category, maybe even like adjacent categories, right? How should you think they should approach yeah. their GTM, right? And also, like, is ABM something that they should explore, right? So I'm asking this question because I had this interesting conversation yesterday and then this new company... They're trying to do something in the generative AI space, right? So they, they're still figuring out their ICP and things like that, right? So for such companies, and there are like many of them, right? So how should somebody who is trying to create, and, and I think in, in that example, there are only two or three comparable uh, companies and one is already a leader, right? Because they've had some kind of a hit start and things like that, right? So companies are in that stage, right? So how should they approach their GTM? Yeah. Um, so one thing, the definition of, of creating a new category, many people throw this phrase around a lot, like creating a new category without having a, a true appreciation for all the downsides, creating a new category. So typically when you are an upstart company, um, it is so helpful to start conversations by going into an existing category and then hyper positioning yourself and then proving how, why and how you're much better than anything else in this category. So if you're doing that, then you're not creating a category. Maybe you're creating a subcategory, um, but that's not really classic category creation. Um, and, and it's 
it's just way easier to go to market when you are entering an existing category. And I used to think that category creation like is the thing, it's the game, it's it's what everybody needs to do. And uh, of course, I always thought about it. So there are people who advise everybody to create new categories, but then what are you going to have? You're going to have categories of one, which confuses the out of buyers because buyers hate having to understand a new category. Buyers need mental you know, hooks and everything to latch onto so that they could, they don't want to do the thinking. And when you're creating a new category, the buyer has to do a lot of thinking and they're going to start comparing you to this and that and that. And if you're doing category creation for category creation's sake, just to be very different and just to be woo-woo and you confuse the buyer and then it turns out that they actually do the mental work of going through placing your company somewhere on their mental model. And then if you end up in an existing category, then it's going to backfire. So just, you know, to give you an example, I have a consulting company and a couple of years ago when category creation was real hot, I was like, okay, how can we create a new category so that we're not a consulting company? We're not an agency. We're not a training company. We're a whatever else, like a to totally new category. And that's, that's not how you want to approach category creation. Okay. Because, uh, and it would have done us a disservice if we were to go down that line, because we would have started to explain people to people what we are and why we're totally different than anything else, which at the end of the day, isn't true. We're just another consulting company that is perhaps a better fit for what they need and for the situation that they are in. And from that point, we can hyper position ourselves. So we, we can say, okay, here, we're a consulting company that can also train their team that can also do execution. And that can help you get started aligning and getting your systems and revenue operations in place, ready for you to scale. And there are not a lot of companies that can do that. Now, that's not category position creation. That is positioning. And I think 99% of the companies are much better off doing that than creating something totally new that doesn't exist in the heads of the buyers yet. But still, back to your question, I don't want to get around that. How do you approach category creation with ABM? Um, I think you like the go-to-market and the and and the and the sequences and everything else. They are not much different when you are creating a new category. That is that you start with having a very deep understanding of the buyer and their problem and the market that doesn't even exist yet. Or obviously, then you understand the existing solutions, the existing market, which just doesn't serve uh, this new category of, of buyers. So once you do that, you know, the ABM motions and everything else you set up is going to be the same. Of course, the content is going to be different uh, because it's going to be focused a lot more around how, you know, around first evangelizing the category. And um, by the way, fullfunnel.io, um, Andre and Vlad, they have this very good model for, for the funnel. And, uh, and at the top, they have demand generation for the category. Because first, when you go to market and the demand for the given category doesn't exist, then you need to create demand for that category. And I'm going to give you an example uh, because it's going to be simpler. But I'm, I'm going to tell you the other thing. Then demand generation comes for like the specific product or group of products. Okay. So first you need to create demand for the category, telling the customer, hey, um, 
I know you want CRM, you need a customer relationship management software, but don't go out and buy a CRM software, buy a project management software such as Monday or ClickUp and use that as a CRM, okay? So now what you're doing is you have the demand that exists for the class of CRM products and you are damning that demand, you're converting that demand into something else, into a different category, which is project management software, such as monday.com. Okay. So you're doing that first. And then if you're a project management suite like that, then you can start creating category for your feature and benefit set. So, you know, if you're ClickUp, you can say, don't use CR, don't use monday.com because of that. Use ClickUp because of this. So first you created demand for the category, which is project management for CRM. Uh, and then you create demand for sort of your world, your feature set, your benefits and your angle of, of how you approach things. Good. Um, so there's actually two stages to creating demand. Let's just talk about the state of ABM and also what, what do you think uh, are the new skills marketing marketer and the marketing teams should possess right so to thrive in this ai world like uh, i think it's been like 10 months since we started to get ourselves exposed to gpd and other frameworks but uh, what do you think 2024 is going to be right and what are this new set of skills that one has to acquire right. to co-work with machine not just humans anymore right uh, what are your thoughts around that yeah yeah, I have I have strong feelings around this. And one big skill set that you need to be building is is obviously using AI and and machine learning. And to tell you the truth, I do not yet one hundred percent see clearly what exactly growth teams and marketing teams should be trending towards besides like researching and trying to stay on top of trends to some extent because you can't really it's going to like consume all your time if you obsess over missing the boat um so one thing that happens is whenever something new like ai comes up you can you're not going to miss a lot if you let things stabilize and then make a strategic direction and a strategic decision okay so if it's something if we're not talking about you know, putting AI in your software product, which is a different story than using AI to help you go to market better. Okay. So there's a distinction here. So we're talking about the latter right now. Um, so there's a lot of FOMO and fear that you're going to be missing the boat. And if you just let that settle and, uh, focus on what is consistent and what comes out of the big chaos, um, then I think you're going to be fine, but you do have to keep your eyes on it. So what we're doing specifically is, yeah, we see that generative AI is big, but its major shortcoming is that it's hard to use ChatGPT out of the box to create good content. So it can give you drafts. It can take you like 70% of the way, but the amount of work that you have to put in after that is still significant because going from 70% to 100% is going to be like 90% of the time and effort because it's actually pretty easy to get to 90 to 70%. Okay. And, uh, so I think the skills that you need to possess, um, with AI coming around the corner is, uh, 
It's just being able to analyze and see clearly. So obviously you need to have a solid understanding of the marketplace, but then you need to see, okay, for my specific strategies and use cases, what is it in all this chaos and these constantly upcoming um, opportunities and possibilities and new tools and fads and whatnot? Like, how do I see through that mess and be able to pick out the three things that my organization needs? So that strategic thinking and analytical capabilities and that general intelligence is, I think, what's going to win the game. Now, if you were to ask me about what skills in general marketers should possess, um, besides, you know, if, if we're to leave AI out, out of the equation, um, then I would say it's, it's the revenue mindset and the holistic thinking and the ability to integrate departments um, and sort of disidentify as a marketer and really try to focus in on revenue, knowing that you're a revenue person, just like the sales guy at the next desk and just like the product guy and the customer service guy. You're all revenue people whose mission and journey is to create an awesome buying experience and thereby maximize profit for your organization. I think if you can adopt that mindset and and work in a way that is uh, congruent with that, you know, work on streamlining SOPs and data and eliminate overlaps, you know, make sure that there are no gaps in between the departments of sales marketing and customer success, that all information inside data and processes flow, flow freely uh, and nicely. If you're able to do that, that is, that is huge. So I'm urging all marketers to disidentify as marketers and think of themselves as people who make revenue and great buying experiences happen. Doug, this is fantastic. Thank, thanks so much for your thoughts. Really enjoyed this conversation. Well, goodbye. <laughs>